0: what is a Christian worldview? We're going to talk about that today and more on org. starting now. Hello and once again welcome everybody to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. This is Toby and today is Wednesday, May the 30th. I want to thank you so much for listening in and for uh for joining us today. It is such a blessing as always to have this privilege of doing basically what has become a worldwide Bible study. It is just such a blessing. It is so humbling to me to know that so many people have been tuning in from around the world. We actually just passed the 100,000 download mark on BibleStudyPodcast.org. So we're kind of celebrating that today. Praise the Lord for that. And again, thank you so much to those of you who have written me with encouragement. You know, I thank you from the bottom of my heart you know, just today I got an email from somebody who uh, who was a pagan and um, basically had turned away from God. And they started listening to these podcasts and they've returned to their faith in God as Christians. So praise the Lord for that. I am just, I am so grateful for that. And I can't wait to uh, to meet so many of you someday in heaven—that would be just the most wonderful thing imaginable for me, for us to all be uh, to be able to get together someday and uh, to actually meet. Today I'm doing something maybe a little bit different as I've thought more and more about what to talk about today. You know, one thing that's kind of been on my mind since the beginning is you know these podcasts are great for somebody who has a totally refined. Worldview, whose whose worldview is totally, you know, centered around Christianity. But for someone whose worldview is not uh, as clear, or who comes from a totally different worldview, I'm going to do a short series, uh, maybe two or three weeks, just on why the Christian worldview works and why the Christian worldview is the only worldview that works. And we're going to we're going to discuss a lot of things. I'm taking a uh, a world religions class here for summer school in, in just a couple of weeks, so I'm going to be able to uh, get some reading done before class for that. So we're going to do some comparative religion stuff, talking about, what, uh, about how Christianity compares to other religions around the world. We're going to be talking about some of the objections that have been voiced against Christianity throughout the ages, And of course, the second Wednesday of June, which is in just two weeks, we'll be doing our question and answers. And of course, if you ever have any questions about Christianity or about the Bible or about your faith or anything, go ahead and just go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click Contact at the top, and you can shoot me an email from there. I am now taking questions for, uh, for this next question and answer session, which will be two weeks from today. So without further ado, let me just start us off with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have cared enough to reveal yourself to us, both in nature and in Scripture, Lord. We ask today that you would help us to understand the Christian worldview, help us to understand why your way is the only way, and why every other God, every other thing fall short of your glory, Lord. So help us today to understand that so that we can present your truth to the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said, one of the reasons I wanted to do this is because not everybody who's listening is necessarily coming from a Christian worldview. I understand that most of you probably are, but you know there are probably some people who are coming across these podcasts who might not have the proper perspective on what we 've been talking about, after all, you know why should we believe anything that the bible says well we 're going to talk about that, but first we 're going to talk about you know the importance of even examining our worldview so let 's just start by talking about you know what a worldview even is you know it 's something that everybody has, whether they realize it or not, and you know for somebody to even say, "I have no worldview is uh, it 's a contradiction because for someone to say, "I have no worldview." is a worldview. And according to the American Heritage Dictionary, a worldview is defined as, it's a noun that's defined as being the overall perspective from which one sees the world, or a collection of beliefs about life and the universe held by an individual or a group. Now obviously everybody believes something about existence. Even if you believe that you don't exist, you have some kind of belief about existence. Everybody has some kind of belief about where the universe came from. Just like everybody has some type of belief about where the world came from. Or some people say that the world is eternal and that you know it's always been here. Those are all a worldview. Those are all examples of world views. A worldview, in other words It's like a pair of glasses for those of us who are visually impaired, which I am. I wear glasses. Everything we see and everything we perceive with our senses and with our ability to reason is actually filtered through this worldview. It comes from a combination of our culture, of our family, of our educational upbringing, of our family upbringing, you know, what we've heard from the media, what we've seen in movies, you know, all of these things in life add to or take away from our worldview, all the things in life that we have experienced. You know, it comes from all the things that we have experienced and embraced in life. You might even say that a worldview is like a map that we use to make sense of where we are because everybody tries to make sense at one point or another of where they are or what we're surrounded by or where we want to go. And our worldview is like a map because it's not reality itself, but it represents what we perceive to be reality. It corresponds. To reality. Now, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and if you wanted to drive to uptown Charlotte using a map of New York City, for example, you wouldn't be able to make much sense of the map. You might be frantically looking for Bank of America Stadium because that's where the Panthers play and you've got these tickets for a Panthers game. And as you realize that you're not passing any of the exits on the map, you know, you're going to become increasingly irritated. And frustrated. So let's say you pull into a gas station and you ask for directions and the gas station attendant, you know, he senses that you are extremely frustrated and he tells you that what you need to do is you need to find inner peace and only then will you be able to find your destination. So you decide to improve your attitude and try to find that inner peace. Okay, well, what good is that going to do you? what good does it do? Because it doesn't correspond to reality. Your attitude is improved, but you still have the wrong map. And see, for somebody who goes into a Bible study or a church or begins listening to a podcast, if you come from another worldview and you are trying to make sense of Christianity, see a different worldview other than Christianity can't make any sense of Christianity. So the point I'm trying to make here is that if you don't have a map that accurately corresponds to reality, you're not going to be able to make sense of the world around you. If you go into a church, you're not going to be able to make any sense of the things that are being taught in there. It's like going to a 3D movie. If any of you have ever gone to a 3D movie, you have to wear the special glasses. Otherwise, what you see on the screen is just is, is jumbled up nonsense. It's impossible. Everything is a blur without your 3D glasses, and absolutely nothing is clear. So the 3D glasses in this illustration are like a worldview. It helps you to see more clearly. It helps you to make sense of what you're perceiving. So why does it matter what your worldview is? It matters because everyone, everybody believes something, but then not everything that people believe can be true. There is a story that the Bible tells us about our existence, and then there's a story that you've heard from your public schools or from the media out in the public arena. And what the Bible tells you is really incompatible with what they teach in the public arena. And let me give you an example of that. For example, the the Bible tells us that there is a God who created us, who created humanity. And he invites us into a loving, meaningful relationship with him. That's the message of the Bible. But the public arena tells us that we should keep our religion to ourselves, and that there is no God, and that life is all there is. And once it's over, it's over. So let's enjoy it while we can. Well, those two worldviews are obviously incompatible with one another. So let's go ahead and start talking about what's being taught in the public arena. This is what is being taught from our classrooms to our courtrooms. It's called secular humanism. And secular humanism is really the religion of the public arena. And just looking at the history of humanism. It's a movement that started back in the 1930s as a result of what's called positivism. Basically, it denies anything that science can't test or can't prove. You might say that it's a religion which regards science as its god. John Dewey was the father of humanism, and he was determined to make traditional religion obsolete. That is, the things that the church has embraced for years and years, for for centuries, they are now obsolete. His goal was to turn classroom teachers into preachers of humanism who would indoctrinate society into this new religion. And he uses language very, very similar to that in his humanist manifesto. If you want to read the Humanist Manifesto for yourself, you can find it online for free. And go ahead and read through there. He talks about how our public school teachers are preachers of humanism who are there to indoctrinate people into this new religion of humanism. So what do the humanists believe? I'm going to quote here exactly from the Humanist Manifesto. First of all, quote, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. That is, it completely rejects Genesis one one. It rejects the Bible from the beginning. There is no God who created us. The universe is just there. It's self-existing. Nothing caused it to come into being. Either it has been there forever or it caused itself to come into being. Secondly, quote, humanism believes that man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process, unquote. So where did we come from, according to secular humanism? We came from chance. We came from thousands and thousands and millions and millions and billions of years of random mutations within this bacteria. So basically, you can reduce us to being equivalent to this bacteria. Third, quote, "...humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values." Obviously, humanism does not deny the possibility of realities as yet undiscovered, but it does insist that the way to determine the existence and value of any and all realities is by means of intelligent inquiry and by the assessment of their relations to human needs. Religion must formulate its hopes and plans in light of the scientific spirit and method. Now, if you didn't catch all of that, just hit rewind because you're going to want to catch everything that's in there. This is totally incompatible with Christianity. To put that in, you know, just plain English, there are no moral absolutes. Anything goes. If you decide that something is morally acceptable, it is morally acceptable. What is morally acceptable in one culture might be, you know, something that is absolutely abhorred in another culture, but yet Both are just fine because we, and we alone, have the right to determine between right and wrong. There's no God to tell us what's right and what's wrong. We have to decide it. And this is where the strong emphasis on tolerance comes from. You hear that everywhere today. We should be tolerant of one another. Everyone wants to be accepted regardless of their moral recklessness because if you don't tolerate it, what are you doing? You're being a hater. To call another person wrong, evil, or immoral is itself an immoral act. And don't miss the fact that this is a self-defeating statement. In essence, it's saying it's wrong to tell somebody that they're wrong, but they're not wrong to say that somebody's wrong to say that somebody else is wrong, if you catch all that. The second thing that it's saying in that statement is that if God exists, science must be able to prove his existence, but if God exists but has no importance in regards to human needs, then there's no point in believing in him anyway. The fourth point, and again, this is being quoted from the Humanist Manifesto, the fourth point is that, quote, religious humanism considers the complete realization of human personality to be the end of man's life and seeks its development and fulfillment in the here and now Unquote. "so in other words once we die it's over and done with there is no afterlife there's no consequences for our actions so let's live for our own selfish personal satisfaction and pleasure in the here and now while we can you know it's also saying there basically you know why are we here we're here to seek and fulfill the pleasures of the flesh, money, sex, drunkenness, doing drugs, whatever you want to be here for. There is no meaning to life. So enjoy yourself to the fullest while you can, because you're not going to have to pay for it in the afterlife. You may as well just live for the here and now. And that, my friends, that, is, that basically sums up the humanist worldview And if you think that this isn't the stuff that's being taught in our public schools today, let me read you some quotes. This is from a mandatory assembly that was held in Boulder, Colorado, just last month. And what they did is they had some counselors come in and serve on a panel where they would talk about drugs and sex and and things like that. And parents were not allowed in. Somebody actually recorded this, and these little sound bites made it onto the news. Well, I'm going to give you some of these quotes right here and tell me that this is not exactly what secular humanism is propagating. Okay, so the first quote that I want to give you is one of the counselors said, quote, now, what is healthy sexual behavior? Well, I don't care if it's men and men, women and women, men and women, whatever combination you would like to put together, unquote. Second, he said, I'm going to encourage you to have sex, and I'm going to encourage you to use drugs appropriately. Give me a break. The third quote that I'm going to give you here, he's talking about sex. He says, it doesn't always have to be about love. It doesn't always have to be about a long-term relationship. It feels the same both ways, unquote. In other words, you know, it feels good no matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if there's no emotional attachment. It doesn't matter... Because all that matters is what feels good. Again, remember that the Humanist Manifesto seeks the fulfillment of pleasure in the here and now. And that's exactly what we're talking about right here. This counselor also said, we all experiment. It's very natural for young people to experiment with same-sex relationships. This is stuff being taught at a public school. This is our students, our children in this country being indoctrinated into humanism. And here's the sick thing. The Boulder City superintendent of the education board said, quote, my assessment of the entire 90-minute panel presentation, including questions, is that overall the panel was appropriate for presentation to high school students, unquote. Now, that was from Dr. George Garcia. This is exactly what the humanist worldview view is proposing that we live for the here and now. Go ahead, experiment with sex, experiment with drugs while you can, because there are no consequences in the next life. So you may as well just live it up now. Now that is the most prominent worldview out there right now. But there's also the New Age worldview. And basically what the New Age worldview is, it embraces everything as being true, whether it's religion that worships God or denies God or, you know, worships several gods. It's all true if it's spiritual. Basically, truth is whatever I hold to be true. Only I have the right to decide what is right and what is wrong for me. If I believe that there are five gods out there, well, I'm right for me. That's that's my truth. If you believe that there's one, that's just as true as my belief that there are five. So according to the New Age worldview, everything is true based on the individual's determination. The second thing is that new age is basically pantheistic. Everything is God and God is everything. Yes, that means that you are a God and that I am a God and that everyone is God and God is my house and God is this chair that I'm sitting in right now. Does this sound familiar at all? This is what the actress Shirley MacLaine came out with, you know, years ago saying, and the sad thing is, People, by and large, ate it up. As soon as she came out and said that, New Age book sales you know, just skyrocketed. People bought into that philosophy. And these are also the people who basically worship nature or Mother Earth. It's also the movement that has given rise to environmental groups and groups such as PETA, which regard all things as being as morally significant as we are. But is that what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible teaches that God created man with a spirit, but it doesn't say that God created, you know, the trees with a spirit or anything else with a spirit Uh, So it's totally incompatible with the Christian worldview as well. And from the new age worldview, what happens after death? You know, most new age pantheists are going to tell you that they're going to be reincarnated or that you become one with the universe. How you are reincarnated depends on what's called karma. If you're good, it'll pay off in the next life. If you're bad, it'll be punished in the next life. This process continues until you have paid the debt for your bad karma and After you've done that, you reach harmony with the universe for eternity. You know, and this is just a bunch of gobbledygook, if you ask me. But basically, this worldview is just totally inconsistent with reality because it presupposes an infinite chain of life prior to the one that we are experiencing right now. But we know that there was a beginning of the universe. That's what science has taught us. That's what logic teaches us. So there has to have been a first life. But, you know, if there was a first life, there would have been no karma to carry over from a previous life. There would have been no punishment to pay. And therefore, they should have had no bad karma to be punished for. And therefore, they should have been and eternal bliss from the beginning. But that's obviously not the case, because people are still suffering. They're paying for their karma. So this worldview is also totally contradictory to the Christian worldview. But what difference does all of this even really make? Let's consider the implications that these things would have on marriage. If I can determine what is morally right and what is morally wrong for me, and if pleasure is the greatest good that I can pursue, then I'm free to have an affair on my wife. And if she gets upset about that, well, she's not being tolerant. She's judging me. She's being intolerant of my moral choices, and that's wrong of her, right? I mean, does anybody really believe that? That's what humanism and New Age propose, but does anybody believe that when it happens to them? And what right do I have to teach my children anything? about morality? How can I justify being concerned about whether or not my children are growing up to know and love God or whether they grow up to be godly people? How dare I teach them to abstain from sex once they become teenagers? And who am I to tell them that doing drugs is wrong? That's just me not being tolerant of that lifestyle. They should be able to decide these things for themselves, right? There are actually people out there who believe this. Or what's wrong with cheating, for example? My dad is a college professor, and when he has disciplined people for cheating or plagiarizing in the past, he's actually had some people who had the nerve to get upset with him for catching them and failing them for their cheating. Well, if we are the ones to determine what is right and wrong, then what is wrong with cheating? Or what's wrong with stealing, for that matter? Or what's wrong with killing, for that matter? The point that I want to emphasize here is this. This is where our world is. If you have a non-Christian worldview, then of course what you learn in church is going to seem crazy. Because what you're doing is the same as trying to look at a 3D picture without 3D glasses. The whole point of this series that we're going to be doing here is to give you a proper perspective so that when we go through the lessons in Romans or when you go through the lessons in John with Justin or when you go through the the Bible contradictions with Matt, you have the ability to make sense of what you're learning. Francis Schaeffer was one of the greatest evangelists of the 20th century, and here's why. He had a cabin at a ski resort, and what he would do, he would invite people in to stay for the night, and he would just stay up talking to them. He'd probe them a little bit, you know, with some questions until he could figure out what their worldview was, and then he'd show them how it didn't add up. Friends, the Bible presents a worldview based on the proposition that there is a God who has created us. In his image, he has asked us to be righteous as he is righteous, but not out of obligation, but out of love and out of free choice. And he cared enough about us to become one of us and to pay the price for our sins when we are not as righteous as he is. And it's a gift. We can take it or we can leave it. See, we all have a world view, but most people have never actually taken the time to think about the worldview that they have. There are a lot of people in our world, in our society, who hold beliefs that actually contradict each other, and they just haven't thought that part through yet. There are people who will say, well, you know, I believe that Christianity is true, but I believe Islam is true, and I believe Mormonism is true as well. It all depends on the person. There are a lot of people out there like that these days, but when you break it down to them, break it down so that you're forcing them to think about what they're saying, to think about the fact that, you know, where where Islam says one thing about Jesus, Christianity says something totally opposite about Jesus. Can they both be true? What makes religion true? We're going to talk about that. And that's what we're going to be going over in this series. Let's examine what we believe and why we believe what we believe. Let's clean off our glasses and make sure that we have the right prescription? Why should we believe that God exists? Why should we believe the Bible? Why should we reject the notion that there's no such thing as absolutes? Why should we believe that Christianity is the only way? We're going to be going over that. Hopefully today you've just had something to think about. Hopefully this was just food for thought for you. And before we have our next lesson, think through what you believe. Think through what you think about where we came from, or why we exist, or our purpose in life. Or think about why one thing might be morally acceptable, whereas another thing might be morally unacceptable. Think about why you believe what you believe. That's the whole point of this series. And, you know, this is going to be a lot of fun, hopefully. I really want you guys to grow in your walks with the Lord. I believe that Christianity is the only way. And hopefully, by the time we are done with this series, you will agree with me and be able to defend why you believe what you believe so let's close this in a word of prayer heavenly father we love you and we thank you and lord we want to be a light that shines into the world we want to be salt not that's in the shaker but lord put us out on the meat so that we can preserve it lord we ask that you would prepare our minds over the next several weeks that you would help us to understand you and understand ourselves better as a result. We thank you, Lord, for this time, and we just thank you for this opportunity to consider the world that you have given us. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, I will see you guys next week. We will do part two of this series. And don't forget, on Friday, Justin will be continuing his series in the book of John. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. It's my hope that you continue to grow closer to Jesus. I'll see you guys next week.